Good morning, gospel community. How are we today? Oh, man, it is good to be in the house of the Lord, especially on a day like today. I got a few things to get out of the way. Uh, First of all, welcome. If you are a guest, uh, we have a gift for you. As you head out those doors, you'll see on the left side, there's some mugs there. Feel free to grab a mug. We'd love for you to have that. There's some information about our church, Uh, but we're just glad that you've joined us. Uh, Second of all, if you are closest to the wall in your row, so this side, that wall, this side, that wall, there's a register uh, close by. Could you grab that? We'd love for everybody to fill that out. Uh, If you've already shared information with us, you don't need to share your address, but we'd still love for everybody, whether this is your first time or you've been coming for years, uh, to fill that out. There's a place for you to share any prayer requests that you have or any praises. Uh, We'd love to celebrate those or pray for you on behalf of them. Uh, Those do not go out to every member of the church. They only go to the elders, the pastors, and their wives. And so we'd love to be praying for you. Uh, If you came prepared to give, you can give one of two ways. You can go online at mygospelcc.org, or you can go into the lobby to the right. You'll see a box on the wall. You can give there physically. But for now, let me invite you to open your Bible to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. In my 44 years of life, I have, to, I have come to realize there are two types of people. Those who can make decisions quickly and those who, well, not quite as quick. For instance, going out for a meal, how many can, can relate, for this, relate with this scenario? Somebody's like, I don't know what I want. What do you want? Like, you decide. Okay, let's do Italian. No, nah, I don't want Italian. Okay, how, how about Mexican? Ah, no, uh, Mexican doesn't sound good. Chinese? No, well, then you decide, I don't, I, I don't uh, that's all I got. Well, I don't know what I want. Can you, can you relate with that scenario? Listen, the truth is, there are times in all of our lives where we have moments where we can't make decisions. So I, I don't have a problem choosing food. I usually let other people, because I literally don't care. I literally could eat McDonald's and be just fine with that. Don't judge me for that. But there are other things, other decisions that I struggle to make. And I had one this week. So I'm, uh, it's Wednesday afternoon. And all of a sudden, the, the, the engine light comes into my car. How many of you are like panic mode? Like, does this mean the car's about to die? It's about to explode? Is it just as simple as an oil change? Like, all of a sudden, I'm like, what do I do? So I'm like, well, I'm just going to keep going because, you know, eventually I'll get there. I'll figure it out. Well, a little bit later, the battery light comes on. And I have one of those cars. It's like a, it's like an eco car. Uh, to, I, I have no idea what that means, guys. Like I, I'm not very smart when it comes to vehicles. But basically, you know, when you come to a stop sign, the whole engine shuts off, and then as soon as you remove your foot from the from the brake, it turns on again. So all of a sudden, the the, the dash said battery saver activated, and I'm like, that, that doesn't sound like something that's good. So I just kept going, kept going. Uh, came to worship rehearsal on Wednesday night, and I left here about 8:30. And I'm five minutes. I'm like, I'm 15 minutes away from here. That's where we live. So I'm five minutes down the road, and all of a sudden the radio completely shuts off, and all the lights on the radio, as well as the heater. I'm like, okay, this. <laughs> okay, I'm smart enough to know something's not right here. Uh, five minutes later, so I'm still like five minutes or so from home. Uh, all of a sudden, the power steering goes out. You ever have that? Like, that's frightening. Like, it takes everything in you to get that car to turn. I'm like, oh, goodness, Lord, please, just get me home. Just get me home. And then I'm coming up to a stop sign. All of a sudden, the brake assist 
deactivated. I'm like, what? Like, I need my brakes in order to get home. And so I'm turning as hard as I can onto Bristol Street. We're just a few minutes from home. And all of a sudden, all the lights on the dashboard go out. I no longer know how fast I'm going. I can't see how much gas I have. I mean, it's 8.30 at night. It's starting to get dark out. And soon the headlights are out. And I'm like, Lord, please just get me home. Get me home. Please turn all the lights green on the way home. And thankfully, I got through the lights. I literally pulled into my driveway and the car shut off. And this is where the decisions really came to be. So this is where it's like really difficult, where I panic and I have no idea what to do. My poor wife, who's got a husband who is mechanically uninclined, I, I, can't, I can't handle it. And so I'm thinking, okay, what do I do? Could it be the battery? Okay, if it's the battery, what do I do? Okay, I'll try to charge it tomorrow. And so I tried to charge it on, uh, on Thursday. And it kicks on. I unhook it from the car. It's still running. Two minutes later, it turns off. I'm like, okay, I don't think it's the battery. If maybe it's the alternator, and I'm like, what, what does it take to replace an alternator? I don't know. Let's look up a video. I'm like, nope, I ain't doing that. That's it's too complicated. <laughs> and then it's like, okay, what do I do with this? Now, do I, do I take it in? Because if it really is the battery, then what a waste of money to have somebody tow my car, and then I look like an idiot, too, on behalf of it. So what do I do here? Well, okay, maybe I unhook the battery and, and go test it at AutoZone, and Regardless, it ended up being something I had to have it towed. There was an oil leak anyway. But there's so many different decisions. Like, if I call to have it towed, is that going to make my insurance go up? And all these different thoughts of what do I do? Like, it can be hard to make decisions sometimes, can't it? And this morning, we are faced with a decision that is far more significant than where we take our car. Far more significant than where we will eat a meal. This morning, I want to talk about a decision that you need to make in your lifetime that is far greater than anything else you could decide. That question is this, what will you do with Jesus? How will you respond to what Good Friday and Easter stand for? Will you keep living for whatever you want in life, or will you surrender to God. The good news is, is we are redeemed through Christ. That is the good news for us this morning. But how will we respond to the salvation work that Christ is offering us? One thing we know for sure is that choosing to do your own way of living is far easier and far more popular than it is to follow the ways of the Lord, our Savior, said this in Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Here is the good news about Easter. Without Christ, we would be without hope, separated from God's saving grace, and we would be destined for hell for eternity. Yet, Jesus came and died on the cross to pay for the sins of everyone who would ever believe. And he rose again, proving that he is who he says he was, and securing a way for us to be made right with the Father. So our choice this morning is this. Will you choose the narrow gate 
God's way? Or will you choose to walk out your own path, the wide gate that leads to destruction? One of these paths leads to us being cursed, and the other path leads to being redeemed. Do you know which gate that you are walking towards this morning? Let me invite you now to turn your attention to the word Galatians 3. Follow along with me as I start reading in verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for what it means for us. There is no other news greater than the fact that he is risen. Jesus, you defeated death. You defeated the curse of sin. And so, Lord, for those who repent of their sin and place their faith in you, we have new life. Life that can never be taken away from us. No one can ever, once we come to that place, pluck us from your hands. And Lord, this morning I pray for those who are here who do not know you as Savior. God, would you open their eyes that they may behold wondrous things out of your word. And Lord, for those who are believers, I pray that they would have their joy in you rekindled that they would renew the joy of their salvation, God, that they would be reminded of this great thing that happened on that Sunday morning so many years ago. Lord, that they would fight off discouragement with the hope of the resurrection. Lord, have your way. I, I know that I am a mere man, and if you don't come, my words mean nothing. And so, Lord, would you show up in power this morning and do what only you can do. God, help me to be faithful in planting and watering. And, Lord, I'll trust you for the growth. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The Christians here in Galatia, they were dealing with some confusion when it came to their understanding of what it meant to be a child of God. They were getting conflicting messages from those around them. But, but here's the one thing that they understood that perhaps maybe some of you don't understand. They knew that in some way they needed to be made right with God. I, I think they asked the right question, like, how, how do I become part of the family of God? How, how do I become a Christian? But, but many of them were coming to the wrong conclusion. Do you believe that you have to make a decision when it comes to what you will do with God? If you choose to believe there is no God and therefore no need for the Bible, what happens if you die and find out you were right? I mean, it means that 
You didn't need to be made right with God, and so things were fine, and you could go about your life, and you didn't waste time believing. What about believers? What, what happens if we come to the end and realize this was all a lie? Then we don't really lose a whole lot because it's over anyway. But consider this scenario. What if you are wrong about God and his word? What if the truth of God's word is exactly that, truth? What will be the consequences for you? The scriptures are clear. Romans 6.23 says this, for the wages of sin is death. The Bible talks about the fact that there are two deaths. The first death everyone faces. Because sin entered the world, we have to die. The wages of our sin is death. This is why we have cancer. This is why there are accidents. This is why there's murder. It's because sin exists and therefore death exists. And really, for believers, it's a blessing because we won't be stuck in this cursed state forever. The wages of sin is death. But the reality is, if you never repent of your sins, you will face a second death. And you will face torment in hell forever. A death that you will never come to the conclusion of. But there's hope for us. Acts 16.31 says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. This is why we as Christians love Easter. The resurrection of Christ made a way for us. So let's walk through the text this morning, and we're going to break down these verses into three parts, and they will help us to understand better this decision that we have to make. Look at verse 10 again in Galatians 3. It says this, for, who, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Here's the first reality for us. We are cursed for trusting in our own way. We are cursed for trusting in our own way. Now, there, there's really a lot to unpack here in just this one verse, and so let's do that. First of all, let me point out the word rely. All who rely. What Paul the author of, of Galatians is, is pointing out is that there is a need for us to rely on something in order to gain something else. What exactly is that? Look at verse 11 real quick. We're going to spend more detail, but I, I want us to see the fact that we need to rely on something in order to receive something else. Verse 11, now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. So, what we see here is there is a need for us to be justified before God. Each and every one of us is born into sin, separated from God, and declared guilty before him. Thus, that's the reason why justice needs to be served. To be justified means to be made right. So, so think about somebody who's on trial for murder. And they go to trial, and it becomes very evident, very clear that they were innocent of murder. Like this is in self-defense, that evidence is obvious. That person would be declared justified. He was justified for his actions. He, he, was, he was declared right 
before him. And, and this is what needs to happen. We need to be declared justified before God. So how are we able to be declared innocent then? We'll save that for later in verse 11. But for now, Paul lays out the fact that we begin life cursed. This is the way we are all born. We are all born separated from God because of our sin. Let me just give you an example to prove that this is true. If you've been at our church long enough, you've heard me use this illustration. But just take a child for instance, what is one of the first words that kids learn? No. And I'm not talking about, do you want this food? No. It's, hey, you need to do this. No. Like, the, it's, it's ingrained in us. Uh, I remember our first daughter, our first child, uh, Reese, uh, she, was, she was awesome. And, you know, people had warned us about, like, just, just beware. Like, terrible twos are on their way and they're coming. And she... She turned two, and twos came and went, and she was an angel. And Nikki and I looked at each other, and we're like, we are nailing this parenting thing. <laughs> we have it together. Twos were a breeze. I'm like, if this is as hard as it gets, man, we, are, we have a saint on our hands. Then she turned three. I kid you not. It was her birthday of turning three. Nikki took her to the store. And uh, aren't checkout lanes the worst place in history for parents with kids? Like they have everything a child would want right there. And she's like, Mommy, I want this. And Mickey was like, no, sweetie, not today. And Reese is like, oh, no, you didn't. <laughs> and right there on the floor, throws herself down and has the, this massive tantrum. This is ingrained in us. We are born sinful, separated from God. It's clear as you look at children. Isaiah 53, 6 says this, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him, that is Christ, the iniquity of us all. The Hebrew word for all means all, means everyone. No one is excluded from this. Our sin has led us to be accursed and this is a major problem because on our own, we can't get out of this mess in our own efforts. There is nothing we can do to become uncursed. Something has to happen in order for that cursing to be taken away. And the reality is, whether you are trying to trust in God's word or not, if you are living your own way, you are cursed because you think that your law is right. We are separated from God. We are cursed. Look at verse 11. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Here's the second thing that we see. We cannot be redeemed by good works. We cannot be redeemed by good works. The law refers to what God commanded his people to do in the Old Testament. You see, the Jews, uh, they were putting pressure on the Galatian believers, putting all these man-made rules on them, things that they said they pulled out of Scripture, and they were forcing it onto the Galatian believers, saying, hey, if you want to be right, you got to do these things. 
And Paul was having nothing to do with that. Why? Because you cannot be justified by doing good things. Why is that true? Because the text here is anyone who doesn't follow all of God's law, all of his word, will be under the curse. If if you're going to live by the law, then you have to follow the law completely. If you're looking for good works to justify you, then you can never have a single bad work. Because that throws everything off. Why is that true? Whoever doesn't follow all of God's law is under a curse. And here's the reality. No one follows God 100% of the time. In fact, nobody comes even close to doing that. Yet, we will be held accountable for any ways that we have broken the law of God. Every one of us will be held accountable for that. And listen, if you come across a a Christian who says they've got it all together, I mean, this is one reason why unbelievers do not like the church is because they act like they have it all together. Just know that they're not living genuine Christian lives. Because the reality is, any good works we are doing are a result of God's grace and work in our lives. In Ephesians 2, we've been talking about this as a church, um, like that any good works that we are have are from God. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he laid out in advance in order that we may walk in them. So for walking in the good works, these are good works that God has laid out, and his spirit is moving us to do those things. So even the little things that we have to boast in are all because of him and his glory. You cannot be saved by following the law because you are going to break the law many, many times in your life. Doing good works won't save you because it can never make up for the sins you've already committed. James 2.10 says this, Whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. We are guilty because of our sin. And if we have failed in one point, we are guilty of all. And therefore, we deserve punishment. Why? But what if I've only committed one single sin? Listen, if that's our approach and understanding, we need to understand that God is holy and just and righteous and perfect. And no sin can be in his presence. Choosing to walk your own path in this world will only leave you cursed. Wide is the gate that leads to destruction. You've ever noticed? Like the world is full of people who are living for themselves. And how does life go when we live for ourselves? Not very good. Think about it. When you live for yourself, who is against you? Everyone's against you. I'm having a happy day. That person just cut me off. Don't you know this road exists for me? Why don't you learn how to drive? Well, we cut somebody off just a little bit before that, you know. Uh, Like everybody gets in their way when we live for ourselves. Wide is the gate that leads to destruction. That gate is paid with have it your way slogans. So let me ask you, are you hoping that your good deeds will get you to heaven? Are you believing that 
God will give mercy because of your resume. Let me remind you, brothers and sisters, going to church won't save you. Feeding the orphans won't save you. Taking care of the widows won't save you. Having Christian parents won't save you. Growing up in the church won't save you. Having an old, helping an old lady across the street won't save you. Tithing won't save you. Getting baptized won't save you. Taking communion won't save you. Make no mistake, these are, these are all good things that God calls for us to do. But they won't break the curse. Because one single sin committed against God separates us from him for an eternity. This seems pretty hopeless, doesn't it? We are held to live a perfect life, yet we are born sinful. Like, where does our hope come from? Look at verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Here's the good news this morning. Christ alone redeems us from the curse. Christ alone redeems us from the curse. When it comes to following God's law, we absolutely will be held accountable to it. And that's why we are cursed. We, we don't get a redo. There's no undoing what we have already done, at least on our own efforts. But here's the good news. God didn't just abandon us. He didn't just leave us on our own. He made a right a way for us to be made right with him. This is why we love Good Friday. Jesus came into the world, born to the Virgin Mary. He grew up never having committed a single sin. I want you to think about that. He never looked at his mom in angry defiance and said, no. He never disobeyed his parents, at least in a sense where it was sin. He was absolutely perfect his whole life. No one knew temptation better than him because he never said yes to it. He was perfect in every way. But listen, Jesus didn't come to do away with the law. He didn't say, hey, the law means nothing. It's garbage. Forget about it. Jesus actually came to fulfill it. These are his own words in Matthew 7, Matthew 5, verses 17 and 18. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Jesus fulfilled the law perfectly. He did what no man could do. And so in doing that, he became a curse for us by dying on the cross for our sin. Listen, the reason why it is a curse to be hung on a tree is because if you were hung on a tree, that meant you had done a dirty deed. It meant that you were a criminal. And so anybody who was hung on a tree, they're like, he's cursed. He's a bad dude. He took on our curse. 
This is why the cross was so amazing. It paid for the sins of every person who would ever come to place their faith in Christ. And at the point of our salvation, here's what takes place. The curse that was once on us is considered paid for on the, Christ, on the cross of Christ. Christ took that curse upon himself by dying for our sin. And in essence, this is what happened on the cross. It is that God looked at Jesus as if he committed every sin that every believer would ever commit. Like you think of how angry you get when injustice happens to you. Think about the injustice that happened on Christ so that we could be made right with him. And he did it willingly. Even on the cross, you know, we watched the passion of the Christ this past week and it's just always like this Goodness gracious, he endured all that. And then while these soldiers are brutally beating him and mocking him and spitting on him, pulled out his beard, put a crown of thorns, and, and nailed his hands and feet to a cross, and he was guilty, he was innocent. And yet on the cross he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And when we choose to repent of our sin, when God opens our eyes to our sin and we turn from it, we repent and we place our faith in Christ for salvation, this is what happens. Christ takes our curse and gives us his righteousness. And from that point on, God looks at us as if we committed every righteous deed that Christ committed without committing a single sin. Brothers and sisters, that should floor us. That should blow our minds. God took on the wrath. Jesus took on the wrath of God so that we would never have to face it. I mean, think about it. Jesus had the Father on his side this whole time. He was in there in the beginning at creation, Jesus has always existed. He was in heaven. He came down. He left heaven. He walked with God up until the point where he was on the cross. And at some point, God could no longer look at him. This is what led Jesus to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in essence, God was saying, because you've committed the sins of every person who would ever believe. Take note, all sins will be accounted for. Either you will face the wrath of God for your sin, which will mean eternal punishment in hell forever, or you will receive the forgiveness of Christ and have your sins paid for on the cross. So let me ask you, if you were to die today and go before God, where would the wrath of God be focused on when it comes to you? Would it be on you or would it be paid for by Jesus on the cross. When we turn from our sin and place our faith in Christ for salvation, Christ redeems us. He pays for our sins. And he treats us as if we've always obeyed. 
This is the hope of Easter. If he would have stayed in the grave, then he accomplished nothing. It means he was a liar. He was a lunatic. And yet the grave is still empty today because Jesus is risen. you're here today and you have you haven't surrendered your life to Christ my prayer for you is that you would take seriously what we've just talked about consider what would happen if you don't believe in God and you come to the end of your life and realize you will be held accountable may God convict you of your sin but may he also in the same breath turn you to the hope of Christ who paid for your sin you could never do enough to earn God's favor. Perhaps you think this morning, man, there's, ben, I, I don't agree with what you're saying. You don't, you don't know the kind of life I've lived. There's no way God would love anyone like me. And I, and I just think of the criminal on the cross. Guy was, deserved to be up there. and He knew it. And on the cross, he comes to faith in Christ. He comes to see his sin. He repents. Now, we don't see that in Scripture, but you look at salvation. He repented of his sins. He knew that he was sinful against Jesus and that Christ was his only way. And he says, Jesus, remember me in paradise. And, and Jesus says these wonderful words today. You will be with me in paradise. He had no chance to go to church. He had no chance to build a resume. He couldn't get baptized. He never took communion. He never had a chance to do good deeds for the glory of God. And yet, at that last moment of his life, he repented of his sin and placed his faith in Christ. And he's in glory today. Brothers and sisters, there's hope for you. There's hope for you. And if you find yourself processing all this, Zach, myself, we'd love to spend some time talking to you. If you know somebody you can talk with, please reach out. Don't let this day go before you... Seek out hope that is in Christ alone. Let me remind you that we are all born cursed, separated from God because of our sin. No amount of good work will make us right with him. No time spent observing and following the law will increase our chances to be made right with him. There is nothing that we can do in and of ourselves to be redeemed. But we can find redemption in Christ. This is what happens when we, this is how we repent. If you're curious, this is what the word says, Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. If you are a believer this morning, my prayer for you is that you are freshly reminded of the hope of Easter. Jesus rose from the grave. Therefore, death has lost its sting. Therefore, no matter what we face this week, it, it's not going to rock our world because our foundation is firm with Christ and our eternity lies with him in glory forever. So may you find great hope in Christ. This morning, our celebration is not over. Uh, we get the chance to celebrate new life in Christ of two who have professed their faith in Christ and will profess publicly their salvation. 
through baptism. I'm going to invite them. You guys can go ahead and, and step out now. And for the rest of us, we have the chance to continue worshiping. And so, man, I want to hear you sing out this morning. I want to hear you celebrate the resurrection. As I heard, oh, man, it's so good to be up here. I just stop singing sometimes just to hear you. We have great reason to celebrate. And I think we talked about this last week, but the Bible says make a joyful noise, not a beautiful noise. So it doesn't matter how you sound. Let your heart ring out the glories of God. So let me invite you to stand as the band comes. We're going to sing a little bit more, but let me pray for us at this time. Father, thank you for your hope that we have. And Father, I do pray if there are people who have not repented of their sin and placed their faith in you, God, would you bring them to repentance this morning, God? Would you grant them your grace to do so? Father, for the rest of us, remind us of the hope that we have. That we would live differently in light of that this week. That we would not go in cowering our heads, living in sorrow. Lord, because you have taken care of our greatest problem, our sin, on the cross. We are free. Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. God, you are so good. Lord, grant repentance where it needs to be granted. And grant fresh joy for the rest of us, God. Thank you for your mercy and your grace, Lord. Thank you that we can celebrate this morning, God. We, we are so undeserving, and yet you have made a way. And it's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.